Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episodes, thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. And thank you also to our friends at Vave Health for sponsoring this episode. Vave believes that personal ultrasound is the future of medicine with an aim to empower both clinicians and patients. From an affordable wireless device to the industry's first all-inclusive upgrade plan to built-in support with Vave Assist, their mission is to move the needle on ultrasound use in every clinical setting. Find more information online at www.vavehealth.com. That's V-A-V-E health.com. My guest in this episode is Dr. Shika Jane. Dr. Jane is an oncologist and an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Illinois in Chicago. She is also the co-founder and chair of the Women in Medicine Summit, which is coming up October 9th and 10th of this year on a virtual platform. Links in the show notes. Dr. Jane is back for her second visit. She came on last year just before the in-person version of the Women in Medicine Summit in 2019. And she is back to look again at where we are with empowering women in medicine dealing with the barriers to progress, the impact of COVID-19, as well as creating a virtual conference, going into that space, figuring out how to do this and making ready to help us all continue to get better and doing it in a virtual way, which can bring even more people into the fold. Dr. Jane is just one of those people. She knows how to get things done. She's got a clear vision and she absolutely executes on it. One of the things that I think is the coolest innovation that she's done with this conference is acknowledging that it's very difficult for anyone with all of the things going on to spend a full day in a conference type setting. If you register for the conference, you have access to all of the content for an entire year. So definitely check out the links in the show notes. Definitely register for the Women in Medicine Summit. I am also delighted to share that Explore the Space is one of the sponsors of the Women in Medicine Summit for 2020. I am incredibly proud of this. It's an incredible opportunity. The conference is awesome, and I am so happy that Explore the Space gets to be a part of it as a sponsor. Before we get to our conversation with Dr. Jane, just want to invite everyone, please subscribe and rate Explore the Space podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts, wherever you download your shows, we are there. Really helps the show out. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com, and definitely check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at ETS Show. I'm very active there, and it is really fun to interact with people who are enjoying the show and gather feedback and ideas. It's always a total treat. It's pretty remarkable to reflect on the idea that 
despite everything that is happening in the world around us, there are still people with a clear vision who are driven to move towards progress, who are driven to make things better. Dr. Jane is one of those people. So without further ado, Dr. Shika Jane. Shika, welcome back to Explore the Space. I'm delighted to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. So we are here to discuss a very specific thing, which for you and I is good. You and I tend to go off on myriad tangents, side roads, U-turns, hard lefts, abrupt stops, which is super fun. And I love talking with you. But for the purposes of this episode of Explore the Space, we're going to hone in. We're going to keep it tight. I'm going to say something to you and you're going to reflect it back to me. Women in medicine, an evolution of empowerment. I love it. What is that? So I think that the evolution of empowerment really is the fact that women have been doing this work for years and years and years. And when they talk about people standing on the shoulders of giants, I mean, I think that women in medicine and gender equity work is an excellent example of that, where there have been women pioneering for this type of equity uh, initiatives for decades, for centuries, really. So the evolution of empowerment is showing how the initiatives have grown and changed and seen how we've learned. We've learned how to more effectively and intentionally make changes at a global level that are moving the needle. Now, they're moving the needle slowly, so we need to figure out how to move it a little bit faster. But I think that this evolution that gender equity work overall has experienced over the last several decades is amazing to see and to see these incredible women coming up and doing some extraordinary work. I think it really speaks to what an evolution of empowerment is. So we're talking, of course, about the conference that you have created and that you have driven. And it's it's wonderful. It's October 9th and 10th of 2020. Womeninmedicinesummit.org is where you go to sign up. It's all being done virtually for many reasons. I'm bummed that it's virtual because I still haven't been to Chicago and I'll eventually get out there. But it's going to be great because it's open to this big audience. But I want to spend some time on the word evolution because you mentioned that the change that is necessary is happening slowly. When you think about the slow movement of change around gender equity in medicine, and you and I are recording this during Women in Medicine Month, September of 2020, does it feel like there are more or less barriers, more or less friction points towards that evolution now than there were before? Oh, that's such a tough question. So I don't think there's more or less barriers. I think there are different barriers. So in the past, you know, looking way, way back historically, women weren't allowed to vote, right? Women weren't allowed to practice medicine. Women weren't, women in the post-Civil War era is the first time women were considered to not be sickly or frail. And that's when the first women physicians um, were practicing. And so they kind of created this movement of believing that women are just as strong and just as healthy as their male colleagues and their male counterparts. So I think that the barriers that existed centuries ago were very different than the barriers that exist now. I think the challenge we're seeing now is we have all these amazing women and men who are champions for equity, who are doing the work, who are doing the research, and the data is out there. I think the challenge now is that the structure, the infrastructure is still not in place. So we talk about things like structural sexism and and structural inequities, where the system was built in this hierarchical manner that is really meant to 
promote certain people and not promote other people. It's meant to amplify some people and not other people. And especially for women um, with intersectionality, we see that even higher amounts. So I think the barriers now, I wouldn't say they're more or less. I think they're different. And I think a big challenge that we face right now is people say, well, this work has been going on for years. There's over 50% of women in medical school. Why are you complaining? And the problem isn't that there aren't enough women coming into medical school. You know, women are getting accepted and matriculating into school. The problem is we talk about this leaky pipeline where, you know, the AAMC reported that only 21% of full professors, 16% of deans and 15% of department chairs were women in 2014. Um, so we're not seeing the the increase in the number of women entering medical school. We're not seeing that translate into women who are getting awards and women who are getting promoted and women who are in the leadership positions. And so I think the barriers that currently exist are we're still functioning in a hierarchical system that's existed for a long, long time. And we haven't adapted and evolved to account for the fact that much of our healthcare system is powered by women. And so we need to figure out ways to be intentional in creating these opportunities where our qualified women, instead of getting burnt out and frustrated with the system and leaving medicine altogether, we need to figure out how to keep our best and brightest, not only in the system, but help encourage, mentor, and sponsor them to get them to those levels of leadership where they can continue to foster this intentional change that allows for an equitable environment, which is better for the people working in the system. And it's better for our patients, to be perfectly honest. It feels like in some ways, generational work from generations behind us have made progress. Some significant barriers have been reduced, moved, smoothed out, whatever you want to say. But in doing so, the rock flip has exposed now even greater barriers. You're in the door, but now it's how do we get you into all of the various departments? How do we get you, how do we get equity in leadership? How do we get equity in promotion? How do we get equity at the highest levels? Because like you said, and the evidence backs both of us up because it's the evidence around it. When that happens, when there is diversity in healthcare, patient outcomes are better. Exactly. And, you know, I think a big challenge that a lot of people, there's a couple of big challenges that people face. So one, a lot of times people put it on the women to fix the system where they say, well, you know, it's a problem. So you fix it. But the challenge a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, number one, that's unpaid work. So <laughs> right. really unpaid work. I mean, I wrote a paper that came out recently talking about the third shift where all of this equity work, all this gender work, all the disparity work that we do. It's on our own time, usually putting in our own money. Dr. Julie Silver, who's a pioneer in the field, has told me many times, she said, all of this equity work that I'm doing I do it with my own time and my own money. I don't have, you know, protected time for it. I don't have resources and support that comes from me. And so a lot of this work we expect women to do, it's uncompensated and it's often underappreciated. So I think that's one big challenge. The other challenge is people say, well, you know, there's enough women here. So I don't understand why we're seeing the women in, you know, assistant professor level or at the trainee level, but we're not seeing it in leadership. And that goes to that intentional thought. So you need to think about people outside of your circle, outside of your group. I tell this story because I think it's so powerful. I was talking with this CEO who is very, very equitable. He's known for being like a gender equity champion. He said he was interviewing people for a new position at his institution and he kept having Caucasian men 
come across his desk. And he couldn't figure out why, because he thought he had a diverse panel of people looking at applicants. He disbanded his committee when he realized all the people on the committee were Caucasian males. He made the new committee full of you know women and underrepresented minorities and diverse individuals. And he ended up hiring this Egyptian woman who had not come across his desk, but was even more qualified than many of the male candidates who he'd been given their CVs previously. And a big part of it was because he hadn't realized that the people that he was asking for these names were all working in the same groups. They all traveled in the same groups. They networked in the same groups. So they hadn't looked outside of their circle. So in order for these changes to happen, you need to not only say, well, we have women in our system. Why aren't they getting promoted? You need to be intentional in reaching out to people who are outside of your normal group of people that you look at and say, why am I only seeing a candidate that looks exactly the same over and over again? Where are the other people? Because they're out there. There's qualified individuals out there. You just have to know how to find them. So knowing what you know about Explore the Space and trying to bring those who seek healthcare closer to those who provide it, this idea of reaching outside your circle, if we put that in juxtaposition with the fact that we know equity will improve outcomes, both for individual patients and at the population level, how are we doing with reaching outside of the circle of medicine to raise awareness to the general public about this disparity? Because one could imagine if the general public began to have a better understanding of if the healthcare organizations in my city, in my region, in my community, the places that I would go and my family goes to are equitable and have a diverse mixture of physicians and leaders and team members that I'm going to do better and that my community at large will do better, that they would start to potentially demand such change. Has that movement begun? Have you sensed or felt that? It's so funny you ask that because I was actually on a panel prior to the pandemic where I was talking and the I was the only physician on the panel and we were talking about inequities in um, in general in the world. And when I brought up these challenges that exist in healthcare, everybody else on the panel was floored. There was actually a woman who um, is a cardiologist. So she is a physician, but she's not practicing anymore. And she actually said to me, I don't think you're correct. She said, you know, we all do med school, residency, fellowship, or, you know, we get to our attending lives. And then, you know, how could that be inequitable? We're all taking the same tests. And I told her, I said, well, you left medicine before you started practicing. The problem isn't as much as, I mean, there is a problem in the, in the cycle leading up to when you become an attending, but when you look at, after you become an attending, these disparities exist and everybody in the room was floored. So I don't think that there has been a lot of public understanding about these disparities that exist within healthcare. I think that podcasts like yours and others who are really starting to give a voice to the physicians in healthcare, to the people who are in healthcare who are doing this type of research, it's becoming much more uh, publicized in the media. So I think people are starting to understand and starting to see these disparities that exist. But I think a big challenge is a lot of people aren't connecting that to patient outcomes and the patient experience and, and healthcare as a whole. So I think when it comes to communication strategies and figuring out how to package the messaging, I think we really need to reach out to our communities and to our leaders to let them know that this is evidence-based material that we're sharing, that these types of inequities are impacting not only our physicians and our nurses and our healthcare workers, it is also really affecting 
the patients that we serve. And it's a message that I don't think has been as effectively disseminated as it could be. And that's where you and your conference come in because the Women in Medicine Conference, right, October 9th and 10th of 2020, it features a remarkable speaker list and topic list. And one of the things that I love the most about it, quite honestly, is you don't just have docs. You have a mixture of people. You have business experts like Lori Bedke. You have retired U.S. Army generals like Mark Hurtling. You have a mixture of voices and people. When you were putting this together, because I know this isn't your first go around, to me at least, this speaker list felt a little bit different than last year's because you and I talked about the conference last year when you came on the show. Was there intention in doing this to say, if I can put a couple people into this recipe to spice it up a little bit, that I might draw some eyes and ears that otherwise would never even notice this conference because they would just see medicine doesn't apply to me, I'm out. Was that intentional? It absolutely was intentional for a variety yeah. of reasons. So yeah. the first is one thing that my parents have always taught me is you need to listen to people who are smarter than you and you need to get guidance and advice from people outside of your field because we in medicine get blinders oftentimes and we listen to each other and we end up in these silos and then we end up in this endless cycle of making the same mistakes over and over again. And I think there are lawyers and business people and PhDs and experts outside of medicine who can really help us improve our system by utilizing skills that have been implemented outside of medicine. So that's one really strong reason why I brought in these experts who are not physicians, who have expertise in other fields that does directly apply to leadership and to professionalism and, you know, attacking this gender gap, to be to be frank. So I think that's one really important reason why I chose some of these speakers. The second is you're absolutely right. This gender gap that exists, this gender disparity that exists, so many people don't know about it. And many of the people who are making the decisions in healthcare aren't physicians. And so this type of programming, this type of conference, this type of content, I think it's very applicable, not only to the physicians who are practicing medicine, but it's very applicable to those who are just in the healthcare world or have used the healthcare system in any way, shape or form, which I would say is the majority of the population. So a lot of the content that we're talking about, yes, it is absolutely leadership development, professional development, navigating through a crisis, that type of important content. But I wanted to bring a lens to this issue that exists on the disparity front in healthcare to let people outside of medicine and outside of physicians know that this is a problem and we're coming up with solutions, but in order for them to be effective, we need to have allies and guidance and support from people who aren't physicians who are making these decisions or who are impacting how the systems are being set up. So all that being said and, and setting that aspirational note, and again, I mean, I, I looked through the agenda again before I got, we got on the phone and it's just, it's so good. And we'll have links to it in the show notes so people can check it out and obviously register if you haven't taken the opportunity to do so. We do all of this in, you know, the elephant in the room, of course, as we're doing this during the COVID-19 pandemic. And in saying that, we have to acknowledge when we talk about barriers and friction points the extraordinarily negative impact the COVID-19 pandemic is having on progress and equity in healthcare. How much or, or how little are you letting the COVID-19 pandemic sort of infiltrate your strategic vision for what this conference is supposed to 
accomplish at the end of the end of the day on October 10th? So, you know, when the pandemic kind of came to our shores and I realized that I had to decide if I was going to cancel the summit or move forward with it virtually, it was a really tough decision. Um, I will say we I think we're one of the first conferences to come out saying we were going to be virtual because I made the decision decision, I think, end of February, beginning of March. And I said the summit needs to happen because pandemics like this and public health crises have a history of setting back movements like the gender equity movement by a lot. And I don't want to not provide this opportunity for people to really grow through through a challenging time. I think that a lot of us are virtualed out and zoomed out and you know by October we'll have been going through this for 8 9 months. So I was concerned that the programming that I'm offering is it going to be engaging enough? Is it going to be a way for people to actually connect because it's very different than meeting in person. So I have tried to be very intentional in the speakers that I've invited and I've actually added speakers on over the last few months who I think specifically speak to what we're navigating through right now. I mean, this has been an exceedingly hard time for our healthcare workers across the nation. I can't even imagine people who are in hotspots that have been hotspots since the start and have not seen a break. I mean, I feel for them and I wish that I could do more, but I'm hoping that this type of programming is really going to allow people to come together and talk about the things that, that we're struggling with and learn skills and learn some strategies on how to navigate um, through this pandemic. You know, as you know, we've been doing monthly webinars that have been free for people to attend. And that I think has, those have been very well attended and we've gotten a lot of great feedback from that. We've also been doing a lot of publishing. So you and I have written a couple of papers, some that are going to be coming out in the next month or so, talking about how to prevent the pandemic from impacting your career in a negative way. So accounting for your time during COVID on your CV. You know, we wrote a position paper on that. We've been doing a lot of work to try to continue to engage people in this world and in this space, because it's important to, while we're navigating this pandemic, not lose sight of the fact that these other issues still exist and we need to be intentional in how we're addressing them. One thing I forgot to mention, you know, going back to a question from earlier is we've added this he for she track on this year to the summit. And I think that really go, we decided to do that back last year after the summit. Part of it was because, as we talked about, needing those allies in equity to, to really make change. I think going to your point right now of how we're navigating through this time and, and being productive and trying to stay sane, this he for she allies in equity track, I think, is even more relevant now that we're navigating a pandemic. Because one thing I've heard from a lot of my male colleagues is I don't know how to support the women who I work with because many of them are dealing with you know, kids who have virtual learning issues, kids who I got, you know, are not in school in their home. They're dealing with childcare issues. There's a lot of struggles that a lot of our women physicians and especially mom physicians are facing. And so this he for she allies and equity track really is going to focus on not only how to be an ally for your colleagues, but how to help your systems and how to help your institutions create programming that will help support all of your faculty and and make sure that we emerge from this pandemic stronger than when we entered into it. 
one of the pieces of that he for she session that I think is just amazing and I'm super excited about is you have Dr. David Smith and Dr. Brad Johnson, the co-authors of the superb Athena Rising, doing a 90-minute workshop. That is just so great. I do just want to reflect back, though, on you were talking about your journey around deciding to make this virtual. And it's funny because back in August of last year when you came on, we talked about how do we expand the audience? Would you start to do things virtually? Would you do it a la carte? And we had a, a a pretty spirited debate that I really enjoyed. And now we're in this virtual space. I remember you and I were talking about this in January and February and March. And I remember those conversations vividly because what I recall the most was your sense of clarity and purpose. There was no convincing you. There was no uncertainty. It was, I'm going to go forward. This conference has to happen. I remember hearing that and just feeling like, man, you're just a visionary. You know what is needed and you're going to execute. This is a barrier and you're going to surmount it. I love that. I remember that clarity vividly. I remember our, our last conversation around it before you went live. You're like, this is, it has to happen. I'm doing it. It's going to be hard and I'm doing it. And I just love that. Do you remember that conversation? I remember it probably not as vividly as you do. I do remember telling you that I was moving forward and I was going to do it because people thought, I mean, to be perfectly honest, a lot of people thought I was nuts and they said, why are you doing this? You're, you know, you're putting more stress on yourself and more pressure on yourself. And we don't know what's going to be happening with the pandemic in a couple of months. And I said, well, whether, you know, it, let's say best case scenario, the pandemic's currently completely under control. I said, at least I will have put together a program that's virtual that will be accessible to a lot of people. But at that point in time, I had a pretty strong suspicion that everything was still going to be virtual in the fall. And I didn't want to delay and miss out on the opportunity to create this type of programming that I think is so important and so needed. And really, I had such a positive response after last year's summit. There were so many people who were disappointed they couldn't attend last year and were planning on coming this year. And so I tried to see it as a positive where it would be able to be accessible to more people and where, you know, as you mentioned last year, having these recorded sessions, we're making it this year based on your recommendations from last year, actually, we're making it this year where um, people who pay for the conference, the content will be available for them on our website for the entire year moving forward. So if you pay to come to the summit, and you can't attend during those two days, you will have that those videos available to you through our website. So I think that it really allows people the opportunity to, to access this really important content at their fingertips in a way that we weren't able to do when we were live. And I'm guessing one day, hopefully next year, when we're in person again, we will create a way to make a virtual and an in-person component so that we can continue to reach more people. Your vision on how to execute on this is so far ahead. You are very generous to try to offer some credit my way, and I will humbly not accept it because <laughs> you were already in that place. But I will just say that the idea that taking that pressure off of people, you don't have to cram yourself in to nine hours for two days. That's not going to happen right now. No one has that bandwidth. But to say, look, you register, you've got this content whenever you want it. It's going to be evergreen. It's going to be good stuff. It's going to be available as a learning tool. And you've got it for a year. I just think that's so smart. It's such a good way to bring people on board without giving them another thing to feel a time crunch about. So I just, I love it. I think it's so smart. And then having said all of that, give us the places for people to go. How do they register? How do they get signed up? How do they follow along? How do they follow on social media? 
Absolutely. So um, the great way, you know, you, and I think this is going to be in the show notes as well, but you can go to our website, www.womeninmedicinesummit.org, and you can register there. You can also um, see some of the webinars that we've done so far and also some of the position papers that, you know, we've written together. So there's a lot of resources there. There's also the Women in Medicine Summit compendium that's um, online that you can have access from our website. Um, If you want to follow along on social, we have a Twitter account at WIM Summit. Or you can follow me at MD on Twitter and on Instagram. It's the same handle on both. We have a Facebook page as well, which is Women in Medicine Summit. And during the conference, we are going to have, even though we're not in person, we do have some phenomenal students who are involved in our planning process and who actually lead some of our subcommittees. And they are going to be live tweeting the conference, even though it's not in person. So there will be a lot of great ways to access the content. But I highly recommend registering just so you have access to the content for the year. And if you have a group of five people or more and you register together, we can give you each a 25 percent off discount. So we're doing group discounts this year as well. And the registration link is right there on that homepage, womeninmedicinesummit.org too. It's, I'm looking at it right now. It's staring at me. It's right there. It's super easy to get to. This is, this is the right work. It's, it's incredibly exciting. The conference is in its early stages and we just can kind of look forward to the impact this one will have and, and the agility by which you are, are leading it. I am so proud and honored to be able to, in some small way, have explored the space to be a sponsor of the Women in Medicine Summit. The work you're doing is so critical. It's so exciting. I think the conference is going to be one wonderful. Everyone that's listening, definitely register. This is a wonderful opportunity for you and for your organizations. And I will include in that I know the people that listen to the show are not all physicians and that are people who do other things and are involved in other professions. This work affects you too, because equity in healthcare has impact on outcomes at the population level. So it's critical that we get better at this. So Shika, for all of that great work that you're doing for the uh, remarkable opportunity you've created for people with the Women in Medicine Summit on October 9th, and 10th and for coming back on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. And thank you for all that you do as an ally in equity. You are truly an amazing mentor for many and a sponsor and you are just wonderful. So thank you for all you do. And thanks for having me on. My thanks once again to Dr. Jane for coming back on Explore the Space and discussing the 2020 iteration of the Women in Medicine Summit. Definitely check out all the links in the show notes. Definitely register for the conference. It is going to be very special. Thank you once again to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. And thanks again also to Vave Health for sponsoring this episode. That's Vave with a V. Don't forget to check out their website for details on their free virtual ultrasound educational events, otherwise known as hashtag Vave Educasts. Next up this Wednesday, September 16th at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, go to www.vavehealth.com backslash live for more details or find a link in the show notes. As we wrap up this episode, my thanks once again to you for listening. It's a privilege. It is a treat. It is an honor. Delighted to have you here. We will be back with more great content soon. So in the meantime, make sure you wear your mask, maintain physical distancing, make sure you wash your hands. And if you think you may be eligible to vote, make sure you register to vote. Make sure you check your eligibility to vote. Make sure you make a voting plan for how you're going to vote. And make sure you encourage your friends, family, and colleagues to do the same. We will be back soon with a new episode. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.